Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. I am obsessed with Jay McLaughlin and have been so honored that they are sponsoring my Zibbyverse tour. It just so happens that the tour goes to so many communities and areas of the country that have Jay McLaughlin stores. And I love that the brand is philanthropic through Jay McLaughlin's local and loyal programming. Host store events to give back to organizations that are meaningful to Jay McLaughlin's local communities. I also love the fact that the clothes are just so chic They make me feel polished and modern, and the best part is that most of the line comes in fabrics that don't wrinkle. I especially love the dresses, the cashmere sweaters, the other sweaters. You'll see them all over my Instagram. I typically tag at Jay McLaughlin, and so you can check it out. It is absolutely one of my favorite brands, and I am over the moon excited to be working with them. In fact, I want to share the love with all of you. Jay McLaughlin is giving 20% off new customers and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z-I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z-ZIBBY20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white, open, long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal striped sweater, several dresses I even wore on Corny America. Check it out, Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com and definitely check out those shows as well. Sumner Brooks and Amy Severson are co-authors of How to Raise an Intuitive Eater, Raising the Next Generation with Food and Body Confidence. 
This is one of several episodes we'll be releasing that focus on health and wellness for our bodies this month. Sumner is a mom and licensed registered dietitian and nutritionist based in Oregon who has spent nearly 15 years working in the field of nutrition and eating disorders. Her experience includes providing nutrition therapy for adolescents and adults. She has been a certified intuitive eating counselor for many years. She's also the founder of the online training platform Eating Disorder Registered Dietitians and Professionals, EDRD Pro. Outside of writing and work, Sumner enjoys walking her dogs, finding quiet places to read, snuggling with her kiddos, and practicing her tennis game. Amy is a registered dietitian and nutritionist whose work focuses on body positivity, fat acceptance, and intuitive eating through a social justice lens. Amy pro- focuses on providing safe and inclusive care for the LGBTQ community. Amy identifies as queer and non-binary. She is the owner of Prosper Nutrition and Wellness in Bellingham, Washington. When they aren't working, Amy spends time with her family and animals and reading fantasy books. Today, I am so excited that both Sumner Brooks and Amy Severson are here to talk about how to raise an intuitive eater, raising the next generation with food and body confidence. We are so happy to be here, Zibby. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us. We're excited to talk to you today. It's my pleasure. Why don't the two of you start off by talking about the very important message from your introduction about different types of people, how there are so many things facing us today in different groups, and some groups are actually at risk for more eating problems, how there is such great food insecurity. I think you said something like one in six kids don't even know where their next meal is coming from, which is just really hard to wrap my mind around, and it's just horrific. Um, So before we can get into even how to raise an intuitive eater, that implies that you have the luxury of being able to think about food and provide the food. So why don't you start with that context, and then we can get into the nitty-gritty. I think one of the things that was really important for us was to hold the space for the fact that food insecurity for children, but for everybody, but especially children in the United States is a really real problem. And something that if we just look at intuitive eating as a surface, kind of on the surface, it feels like it misses a lot of the space for that food insecurity. And for a lot of these groups of people that you mentioned that we um, can kind of just miss in that in, in basic intuitive eating, the idea of eat what you want when you want, or, um, you know, make sure you have lots of food around all the time, because if you don't have enough money, if you don't have enough resources, that isn't something that can happen. Um, and it's, it's going to look differently for different people. The kids that are at higher risk for developing eating disorders or are often missed in a lot of these conversations about how to provide acceptance, how to, how to provide unconditional love, um, we really wanted to make sure we're not just included, but more centered in this conversation than have traditionally been the case. And it was just a really important thing for both Sumner and I to make sure that we didn't go down the same road that everyone else has gone down. We made sure that everyone was as included as we possibly could make it, you know, as, as two white people could make it and really wanted to make that a focal point of our work. Okay. So as you point out, Kids are born, babies are born with this intuitive, natural ability. They know when they're hungry, and though sometimes parents can't tell if their cries are for hunger or something else, it's pretty instinctive. They need it, and they push you away when they're done. They just turn their heads, and, you know, as any nursing mother may have experienced sometimes before you think they've had enough or maybe um, before, I don't don't know, you never know. But they seem to know what they want to do, kids, babies, and then somehow— 
over the years, it gets more and more confusing, particularly when you have parents who bring in their own food issues um, and how diet culture has affected many parents, especially today when the the parents today, so many of us grew up in an environment that really focused on that. And now here we are trying to raise our kids. So talk about that. Where do we go from here? How do we mess up and how can we get kids back and grownups too? But how do we get our kids to be intuitive eaters and not inherit any sort of eating issues that our generation holds the burden of? You know, this book um, covers a lot of different topics within the topic of how to raise a child to have a healthy relationship with food and body. So there's not a whole lot of opportunities for adults, parents, really anyone in general to kind of unpack and take the time to think about, you know, how are they feeling about their own relationship with food and body? How are they observing their child's relationship with food and body? It is just not something that's really prioritized all that much in in our culture. What we do see prioritized a lot is weight control and dieting and food rules. And that has been passed down now through multiple generations so much so that it's really, it feels really normal. Um, and just like every day. So the book gives people an opportunity to slow down around all of this and really kind of give some thought and attention to their concerns and why this matters to them. Um, so we spend the first you know, couple parts of the book really slowing down around what are the problems? Why is this a concern for the mental health and the physical health of kids? And then we give an opportunity to have parents kind of unpack their own history which ends up making a lot of sense by the time you get to the sort of how-to part of this because you realize how deeply emotional this all is and how kind of ingrained some of our problems are. Um, so the, the how-to of it is a really big part of the book, but it's also more about just like giving some time to this conversation. Yes. Which is so important. How were you two raised? I was raised in a pretty dieting household. Um, I can like name all the books, all the diet books that my mom had on her bookshelf. Um, all the times my aunts would go to Weight Watchers. You know, I can I can list off those, all those experiences. And I was I was started on diets really early as a kid. Um, so I was raised in the thick of this and and um, never knew anything different. And that was one of the priorities I had in raising my own daughter was switching that. And I think that was my perspective comes in when we talk a lot about being raised as a dieter and what that can feel like, what that can do to you as a human. And yeah. And mine was a little more covert. Like I think that I had an experience that is very average for, you know, parents in the eighties and nineties and even today, whereas it really was, um, any dieting influence was, um, really presented as just about health, you know, and about staying healthy and, you know, taking care of your body. And that's the place that so many parents are at today is they just don't see, how much potential harm can come from this focus on food and weight control. And we refer to that over and over as diet culture, but mm -hmm. a lot of people aren't even familiar with the term diet culture. It's certainly, you know, becoming, there's becoming more awareness around it. But um, I think what's 
kind of the takeaway from that is Amy was raised in very explicit dieting household. I was raised in maybe less explicit, but still I got the message, you know, the message of what's right, what's wrong and what we need to be aiming for when it comes to our bodies. And kids are still getting that absolutely everywhere today, if not more so. So how do you make sure to raise kids who view their bodies as, you know, instruments that you need to fine tune with what you put in and that it's, it's about health. It's not about external perceptions of their body or what society wants and that they need to fuel their body properly. And, or maybe what I've just said is an assumption that's not even true, um, but that's not even a good one to have. That's sort of my default. Um, What do you make of that? I think we shift the focus a lot to um, really making sure that kids are getting enough and they feel comfortable around food. And they know that not only will there be enough food, and this is where that food insecurity can kind of be a little bit of a, mm-hmm. a snag because sometimes there isn't enough food, but we really want to hold space. You know, when we can, kids just need food. Food is the most important thing, no matter what that food is. Um, and really just, Another focus we have a lot is neutralizing the food. Um, food is just food. And when we, this is an experience I think parents have in a lot of other places around with kids, you know, when we give something power, when we make it exciting, when it's, when it's new, when it's off limits, it's a lot more exciting than like, well, eat your broccoli. And if we can neutralize it all, if, if, cause that's, it should be all neutral. A cake should be just as exciting as an apple because it is just, food. And the more we can neutralize it, the more kids feel comfortable existing around it and making choices around it. And knowing that there will always be cake, there will always be apples, there will always be chicken, whatever else is there. And really just helping them know that they can fuel their bodies in the way that feels good for them, that they can troubleshoot they can you know there are going to be days where I mean there have definitely been days where my daughter has a, a bowl a small bowl of cereal before school and it, she's hungry by 9 a.m before they have snack time at school and we talk about that and figure out a way to add something else and so she has more food in her body so she doesn't get super hungry before snack and those are the things that we can do. It's not about like, well, you had the wrong choice. Like, okay, well, do you want to have a yogurt with that? Do you mm-hmm. want to add something else to that? Yep. Um, yeah. And just kind of letting them recognize that their bodies will ask for things, that their bodies will be a trustworthy thing for them to listen to. Yeah, sometimes if they just want like pancakes or bread or I don't know, a bagel in the morning, I'm like, you do realize that this is the same as my pouring like a giant thing of flour like into your lap. Like that's basically all you're eating. It's like a big bowl of flour. Like, do you, did you, would you think that's going to like be enough to carry you through the day? Like, no, you need something else. <laughs> sometimes it's, sometimes it's closer to enough, but we, I, a lot of times I just find it's not enough food. So I'll just like throw a go-gurt on the side or mm-hmm. my kid is currently really into smoothies. So there's always a smoothie involved. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things you mentioned earlier, Zibby, is how, It was right on. So the moment a human is born, they are already operating with these instincts uh, to let their body direct when they need to eat and how much they need to eat. And a lot of parents will sort of freak out about that. Like, what do you mean? My, My kid can 
can sort of be in charge of their eating. And what is really important to clarify, um, you know, it's one thing when an infant is just drinking milk for the first few months of life. But what we tend to see happens is at the introduction of solid foods is the point where sort of the parents may be biased or the parents' food stuff starts to enter the picture. And it can be that early when we begin to see a separation from the internal body cues. Like if a, if a parent, for example, starts to think that's too much, like I'm, you know, they're done. I'm going to decide they're done or have more, have more, have more. Mm -hmm. Um, And so those are very simple, very typical, well-intentioned ways that a parent might start to over-direct or over-control a child's eating. And when we're talking about raising an intuitive eater, one of the things we're talking about is really a focus on supporting their natural ability to eat, creating an environment that allows them to stay attuned and to stay pretty self-directed with their eating. And we talk about a flexible feeding routine, which really helps a child because number one, a young child is not developmentally capable of deciding what to put together you know, and what to have for dinner. That is absolutely the caregiver's role. So we we differentiate between what is the child's role here that we're really supporting and fostering, and then what is the caregiver's role? Because this is not a situation where it's a free-for-all and you just let the kids walk into the pantry and decide what's for dinner. They really need our support with that when it comes to getting you know, all the different food groups and balanced meals put together so that then they can do their job, which is what am I hungry for of this food? And, you know, how much of it do I want to eat? And that's just really an intuitive process. It's not a cognitive process. We don't need kids to think about protein, carbs, and fats. We don't need kids to think about food labels and calories. We just need to help set them up to to be able to feel calm and comfortable and confident enough to choose what to eat from what's in front of them. But don't you think, like, if I put in front of my kids like you were saying, chicken, an apple, and a piece of cake. They are going to eat the cake. They are going to love the cake. And they will be much more excited about the cake than the apple. As, frankly, probably would I if I was just like eating whatever I felt like eating. Or maybe this is, again, my own thing. But I feel like um, it's hard to sell the appeal of an apple next to the appeal of like an ice cream cone with sprinkles. Do you think that's all cultural and not into it and not like... You know, yeah, construct this for me. Yeah, absolutely. So, first of all, think about this if you gave your child cake for breakfast, lunch, and dinner one day, and then the next day, and then the next day, how soon do you think it would be before your child was actually like really rather preferring that chicken? I don't think that would ever happen. That is that is a lot of information right there that, that it shows how far away we get from this um, truth, this fact that our body is constantly on a quest for balance and blood sugar balance and homeostasis and our really complex hormones and neurochemicals, our whole appetite system is actually designed to keep us on this course. And now absolutely, if a child maybe, or if anybody has like not had 
a lot of access to a certain food, or if it's just always like put on a pedestal and is like, you have to eat all your something before you can have, you know, your dessert, whatever that is, there's a whole big pattern going on here before we get to the point where the kid sits down with the apple, the cake and the chicken, and we observe what decision they make. There's like a whole lot there. That's not just about the apple, the chicken and the cake. Is it ever too late? Like when, when is it too late to to make it, to neutralize a situation like that? I don't think it's ever too late. I think, because I mean, the uh, the original intuitive eating concept is for adults and this isn't extremely different. It's just kind of getting in the way of going down that road too far before we now have to undo it as adults. It's just fostering what's already there in kids. And so it, it's not too late. It's never too late. I've seen... 80 year olds do this work before. Um, and I think for kids in particular, we can always create the space for it. I think, like you said, you know, if you were to give your kids cake every day for every meal, they, they might, would, they would love, sure they would, would be ever. so happy. I swear they would be so happy. And like, I want to throw the counterpoint out there that I got bored the other night actually, and made a cake. Um, I was just bored. <laughs> I had the house to myself and that's what I did on the house to myself night. And my kid didn't eat a single piece of the cake. Um, and it was fun, Betty cake. She loves that cake and she didn't want it. There wasn't a single day where she was like, yeah, I think I want to have cake. She just didn't want it. And it's because it's not because she's special or amazing or she actually really likes sweet things. She got really excited about some mochi. We found at Trader Joe's the other day. Um, <laughs> it's because we have dessert. Like she had a scoop of haagen with dinner last night. Um, but she ate her chicken before she ate her ice cream. And that's not because she's better at this than anybody else. It's because we had to do some undoing. We had to do some work to make it known that there will always be dessert, that there's, it's not, this is the only chance to have ice cream. This is, this is the only time this week we're going to have a sweet thing after dinner. It's no, we just have some dessert with dinner and you can choose what you're going to eat. And if you're still hungry, we'll talk about what else you can have. Um, because it is, it's cool to see kids do that. It's cool to see that it change because it does change. Most people come into this really scared. Like if I let this happen, my kid's only going to eat cake. My kid's only going to eat ice cream or candy or whatever that food is, but it does shift. And it's really cool to see it shift. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And here's another really important part of this that, that it just gets, um, you know, it gets missed. We don't talk about it, but, you know, every time a child has an opportunity to experience what happens when they eat too many cupcakes or drink too much juice. That is the way that they begin to um, learn. That is how they learn. You know what? That doesn't feel good. And when we don't even need to add anything into that equation, no judgment, no shame, no, you know what? I told you so. No, next time I'm going to control my child and not let them do that. This just happened over the weekend at a birthday party with my daughter. She did have uh, too many cupcakes and I didn't have to say a word about what happened, what she might learn from that, what she might want to think about doing differently. All I needed to do was say, I'm sorry, your tummy doesn't feel good. Let's have some water. Um, and we actually did have cake that night. It was my dad's birthday. So there were two cakes on the table and you know what? She did have some, but she asked for a tiny little piece, which is kind of was surprising to me because me at seven years old, I was saying, give me the biggest piece. And I was, you know, observing this, but this is all about trust, all about trust. And if we as adults can't trust ourselves, it's very difficult to imagine that a child can trust their body, but we also need to re, um, kind of establish how we evaluate when a child does overeat, that it's not a bad thing. It's actually a really natural learning experience and that what we can be aware of is not piling on any judgment or shame or, or like letting that reinforce for us, see, they can't be trusted. So on a tactical level, there, there are two pieces, really. It's dealing with ourselves as parents and you call it like reparenting or talking to your inner child or basically coming to terms with your own issues. And then it's the, what do I do with my own kids and how do I, like, what, how do I do that? So if if we're tackling stage one, which could be, you know, years of therapy, but let's give it a chapter, you know, like some people have a lot to undo and some people don't. I mean, people come at this across the whole spectrum, of course, like everything. Um, how, how, how have you seen this be most effectively handled to sort of reparent yourself or deal with your, your own demons, if you will, enough to be able to objectively feed your kids and, and, and get them to follow this plan, this way of life, not a plan, this sort of a, a philosophy. There's a couple of really great, uh, true stories in the book that we include for this. Um, and Amy and I have both spent, you know, we've probably worked with hundreds or thousands of adults behind closed doors who have been in, inside this process. And, um, as with intuitive eating, it often comes about when someone feels like they've kind of reached what's called diet rock bottom, which is just like, I am so unhappy living this way. The more I focus on food, the worse I feel, the worse my eating becomes. And so they, they hit this point naturally where they realize something's got to shift and to, and to then be 
even introduced to the idea that there is a way to begin making peace with food and body and accepting the fact that this is a journey, this unfolds over time. This is not an overnight thing like a diet quick fix is. I think what we see is that people who really can identify that this is no longer working for me, and then they take the time to get back in touch with their body, get back in tune with, I can be present with what's happening when I'm making food choices. I can approach this from not a place of hating my body and shaming my body, but from a place of food is about self-care and I care about how I eat because that changes how I feel in my life. Um, And when that's why we included the parent or the caregiver section first, because until you can really um, connect the dots there, it's really hard to get to that It's so important for me to trust my child. I want them to trust their body. I want to trust their body. We got to work at this. And this is how we do this. We slow down around all of this. We push out the diet thoughts. We challenge all these crazy diet claims and food rules. And then we learn from what happens. And also, I don't, I think that, um, I think that we don't have to be, no parent has to be and a perfect intuitive eater has to be at a certain place in order to start to do this process with their kids. I think just the, just the nature of parenting, um, means that this stuff is going to come up in us as we go through the process, no matter who we are, no matter where we are. So there is a truth to being able to do this kind of in conjunction. We can reparent ourselves while also working on this with our kids. And because this stuff will come up, like there will be times where something happens for our kids. We hear something they learn at school. We are trying to feed them. And suddenly we're like, oh my God, this definitely hit one of those places in me. And if we're doing that work, we can sit with it. We can, we can see what it is. If you're, if you're working with a professional, you can take it to whoever that person is. Um, if you're not, you can look at it for yourself and really kind of unpack that. And I think that's really important that it, you don't have to be perfect. We're not waiting for you to hit a certain finish line before you can start to do this with your kids. You can start to do it at the same time. We talk a lot about in the book about one, having a lot of self-compassion for yourself. I think that's one of our biggest themes is self-compassion. And the other thing we talk a lot about is how you can fake it until you make it a little bit. Um, because I feel like that's kind of parenting. Sometimes. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I love that. Um, just one last question. What if, what do you do if a child sort of recognizes that they're not eating in a healthy way, but that they feel like it's hard for them to control it, right? Like they, they recognize that they're maybe eating cake four times a week or they want to make changes, but it's, they find it very difficult. Um, which I relate to. I find making eating changes very difficult, um, giving up things that I, I love, even though intellectually I, I know um, when I trust myself, I, I don't necessarily always eat healthy if I were to just do it. So what? how do you help a child who's saying, you know what, like maybe I don't want to eat all this, like, but it's really hard for me to stop. What then? I think it depends on what age they are. Um, as a parent, I would consider any time when your child is coming to you with an acknowledgement that that something's not feeling right or that something's not working for them, definitely that's a flag raised to be um, 
you know, really curious about how big of a problem is this? You know, there, there can often be a situation where there's more to the story than is being shared. And when it comes to, to food and eating disorders, that part of the more to the story could be deadly. It could be just very dangerous. It could be needing a medical intervention. Um, so, you know, we want to approach this with curiosity and always give a child a sense that they're safe to tell us what's really going on. And that might take a little while to get the story. But something I want to say here that's super important is that sometimes, let's say, for example, this is a teenager who's saying this, they may, um, their intention to quote, eat healthier may not actually be about health. It may be about weight, appearance, size shape. Um, and that actually may be signs of an eating disorder. So anytime someone feels like they can't stop eating or they feel out of control with food, those are signs of an eating disorder um, that could really need some professional attention. But I think what we want parents to hear is that if a child comes to them with a concern that they want to be dieting or losing weight, and oftentimes that can sound like I want to eat healthier, um, that we as a parent, we don't want to reflect back to them. Yeah, I agree. You know, I agree some weight loss would be good for you, or I agree, you know, let's only eat healthy or let's do it together. These are absolutely, I think, some of the problematic patterns that we're talking about avoiding in our book, because these are the things that can lead to lifelong dysregulated or disordered eating, lifelong struggles with food and body image. So as an alternative, because... We don't want to just hear what we shouldn't do. We need to hear what can we do. We want to ask questions. We want to say, tell me more about this. When are you noticing this? When did you first begin to feel this way? Tell me what happens when you're experiencing this. How is it feeling for you? What do you think is going on? What do you think could be helpful? Um, and saying, you know, I'm here for you to always make sure that you get the food that you feel like you need to be eating. I want to make sure you get enough food. You know, you need to have enough food and I don't ever want to see you, um, you know, not getting enough because that's not going to be helpful for you and that's not healthy for you. So kind of frame, I would, I would begin the conversation from that lens. I had the same, a very similar thought of um, checking to see what the intention is of that. And I think knowing that we mentioned this this statistic in the book, and I think it's a really important one that kids as young as four are often already starting to um, fear their body size or wanting to change their body size. And I think most of us, anyone who's ever attempted to change their body, who's ever gone on a diet, hates the idea of a four year old thinking the same thing because um, that is a that's a preschooler. That is that is a scary thought for a preschooler to have, and. I think knowing that these biases, these thoughts are already there, they, they exist. And it's kind of fed a lot by not just the things that they see at home, which is the things that we say, the things that we see on TV or um, heck, even in like Disney movies, it's always like weirdly implied. Um, and this message is messaging is just really kind of fed. And we don't want our kids to, to feel that way about their bodies. So really unpacking why, like if they're constantly feeling like they're sick, that might be a different conversation than if they are really afraid of what a cake is doing to them or afraid of not eating healthy enough for the sake of eating healthy enough. Um, really unpacking just what's happening there and just ask it. One of the questions we bring up, we say, you can ask your kid, you can 
start to bring into the conversations more. And when, especially when you're feeling afraid of what's happening, afraid of them asking for another cookie is, well, how are you? Like, how are you? And really wanting to know the answer, really wanting to know what's happening, why this is happening for them. Um, if they're hungry, if they are feeling afraid, they're not going to have the cookie. If you are worried, if you are feeling like that, like rising, like, Ooh, this feels uncomfortable for me. Check in with them, see how they're feeling, because that's a really important thing that we miss a lot in this. And we really want to give some space to that and really just encourage us to figure, to talk to them about, I don't know what's happening, how they are. Amazing. Um, thank you for all of this advice and perspective. Um, it's so important. Um, I think it's particularly important when people are just starting out so they can like nip it in the bud, but the vast majority of people are already in complex relationships with their own food and their children and trying to do their very, very best. Um, and I think it's worth noting, you know, there is no such thing as being a perfect parent when it comes to food. And there's always room for empathy and and for yourself and for your kids and open-mindedness and uh, making space for, you know, how to raise an intuitive eater and um, neutralizing food. And, and I, I don't know, you haven't messed up your kids if you're listening. It's going to be okay. it's such an important message we're all learning here we're all doing our best we know how hard it is to parent and something we didn't say is that this is never a parent's fault you know we live inside of this system and culture that has taught us to do all of these things automatically so thanks for mentioning that okay Um, thanks to both of you so much, Sumner and Amy, for coming on and discussing your book and um, helping so many people. It's really wonderful. Thank you for having us. Yeah. All right. Next time, uh, I will not have you over for cake. I'll have you over for something else. <laughs> All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you very thanks. much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 